0: Thank you for joining us today. Many Christians today have accepted Bible teaching through the media to be as relevant as assembling together in the house of God. The Bible commands Christians to regularly assemble together because we, the people, are the church. The media serves a great purpose for those who are temporarily or permanently unable to assemble due to various life challenges. But there is no excuse for those of us who are able. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Listen in with Bible, pen, and paper handy as Pastor Rander teaches us today. We have
1: fellowship with Christ. That validates that you're a Christian. Number two, we continue to walk in the light of Christ. That validates that you're a Christian. Number three, we have fellowship with one another. You, you you don't just want to stay away from the church and say, oh, I, I got this. No, no. God created the church and he created us to be dependent upon one another, interdependent on one another. We need one another. The gifts you have in you that I need. The gifts I have in me that you need. Uh, you, you, God has deposited within each of us gifts for the edifying and building up the body of Christ. And when you are not here. Uh, We miss your gift serving us to the glory of God. We have fellowship with one another. And number four, we continually allow ourselves to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Again, I say it again because I know you were writing according to 1 John 1, 7, what validates that we are Christians is number one, we have fellowship with Christ. Number two, we continue to walk in the light of Christ. Number three, we have fellowship with one another. And number four, we continually allow ourselves to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Uh, verses eight through 10, the preservation of fellowship. The preservation of fellowship. Verses eight through 10, the preservation of fellowship. Look what it says. Verse eight, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Not only did false teachers walk in darkness, but went so far as to deny the existence of sin, of the sin nature in their lives. If anyone denies being a sinner, he cannot be saved. He said, I'm not a sinner, nothing wrong with me, leave me alone. Well, you're not saved. He is self-deceived and the truth is not in him. For only when we see ourselves as sinners will we see a need for a Savior. Did you see that? Only when we see ourselves as sinners will we see a need for a Savior. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, who is him, pronoun for God. A liar and his word is not in us. A sign of genuine salvation is continual confession of sin. That's a sure sign you will save when you habitually confess your sins. I'm not talking about once a week or every other month. I'm talking about daily. Uh, The term confess, you see the word confess? Look at the word confess. Confess means to say the same thing about sin as God does. Now, that's key. You need to write every bit of that down. Confess means to agree with God about your sins, to say the same thing about your sins as God does. God continually cleanses those who are confessing their sins. Since God has said that all people are sinners To deny that God's, look, to deny what God said makes God a liar and his word is not in us. A genuinely saved person will never, will never say that he or she has not sinned because they will make God a liar. Romans 3.23 counters that for it says for all, You you see, for all. Underline all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all, the preacher have sinned, the pastor have sinned, the deacon, the elder, the usher, whoever you are, the parents. We've all sinned. So with that question, with that fact, why does God require us to confess our sins? And we'll close with that. Why? Does God require us to confess our sins? I'm going to give you these reasons and we will be done. Why does he he require us to confess our sins? Number one, sin separates us from Christ. That's why he requires we confess our sins. It separates, sin separates us from Christ. When we are negligent, when it comes to confessing our sins, it will result in a life separated from Christ that brings about a loss of fellowship, a loss of power, and a loss of fruitfulness. It separates us from Christ. God requires us to confess our sin, secondly, because confession of sin is mandatory because God is only glorified through a righteous life. God is only glorified through a holy life. You can't live one way in the midst of God's people in his sanctuary and then go home and look at pornography, uh, be a drunkard, scream at your wife, knock your children around, be hard to deal with and hard to love. God is only glorified through a righteous life. Thirdly, confessing our sins help us to keep short accounts with God. Confessing our sins help us to keep short accounts Accounts with God. We must keep ourselves holy and pure before God, and not allow our unconfessed sins to accumulate. Listen, don't ever get on your knees or in a chair or on a bed or wherever you are, and say, "Lord, forgive me of all my sins." No, that's not that's not the right way to pray. Forgive me. You didn't commit all those sins at one time. Okay, so you name those sins when God God will bring them to you one at a time. and then you plead the blood of Jesus. Don't cluster them all together and say all. Oh. Oh, you didn't commit them all at one time. When he brings them to mind, and sometimes God will reach way back and remind you of something you did when you were a child that your mama didn't, don't know, that your daddy did not know, your grandmother didn't know, your auntie didn't know. And you know what you did. And God has brought it to mind so you can deal with it. So you can deal with it. Don't let your sins pile up. Number four, sin desensitizes us to the word and will of God. You can't know the will of God for your life if you're living habitually in sin. Sin blocks you from knowing the will of God. Number five, sin contaminates and entangles us and often carries a lifetime of consequences. There are unintended consequences to every decision you make. Sin contaminates and what? Entangles us and often carries a lifetime of consequences. You may choose the sin. However, you do not get to choose the consequences. You don't get to choose the time of divine chastening, nor the place or duration of divine chastening. Now, that is so big, I have to repeat that. Sin contaminates and and entangles us and often carries a lifetime of consequences. You may choose the sin. Oh, yeah, you can choose. That's your choice. I picked this one. Oh, but you don't know what you're picking. You may choose the sin. However, you do not choose the consequences, the time of divine chastening, nor the place or duration of the divine chastening. Number six, we will not prosper with concealed sins. We will not prosper with concealed sin. Proverbs 28:13 says, "He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Stop hiding your sins, camouflaging your sins. Stop being a smooth sinner. <laughs> but he Who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. God will bless a life that doesn't hide sin. Number seven, when believers fail to confess their sins, they have a greater tendency to grumble. Okay, that's a sign that you're not confessing your sins. I'll say it again. When believers fail to confess their sins, they have a greater tendency to what? To grumble. Philippians 2.14 says... Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Go- Look how quiet he got then. God commands us not to grumble, because when we do, we sin against God and we sin against other believers. Grumbling is deadly, destructive, and disastrous. It is deadly, destructive, and disastrous. There should not be any grumbling in the church. You read the book of Numbers. Just read, just read through on your quiet time and see how many times Israel grumbled and God wiped thousands out. And they come back a day or two later and grumble again and God wiped more of them out. Sent six snakes on them and everything else. God got tired of those folk grumbling. Grumbling. And some of you are professional grumblers. You, you 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 you'll grumble before you say thank you Jesus. You what? What makes grumbling so bad? Grumbling destroys family relationships. You grumble about your, your son. You grumble about your husband. It may be true. It may it really may be about your about your wife. May, you, God never. There's not a command in the scripture that says grumble against your spouse. Now, some of y'all think y'all, some of y'all I believe you got you think you got the gift of grumbling. That's not a gift. Uh, grumbling always destroys motivation. Grumbling tears down and does not courage or build up others. Listen to this. Like COVID-19, grumbling is so contagious that it can run through any church like wildfire and wipe it out. W- wipe, wipe the church out. Wipe, wipe out the choir. Look around; the ensemble is not there. The media is not there. Nobody attending these of the children. The spirit of growth. Oh, how do you, I don't commit adultery. How could that man leave his wife uh, for another woman? And, you know, you just go on. oh, how could that one do that? You point out all these heavyweights and I'm, I'm not doing this and I'm not a drunkard and I'm not. Hey, but you're grumbling. you grumbling, you're grumbling, you're grumbling, you're grumbling and God's going to get you. A lot of you need to be saying just what she said. Have mercy on me, Lord Jesus. My friends, Grumbling is one of Satan's chief tools he uses to hinder the spiritual progress of the Lord's church. Some of you get on the phone and you text grumbling. You text it on, you, 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 you're on a cell phone with grumbling. You, you just grumble all under your voice. You grumbling in your throat. No wonder you don't have joy. You are addicted to grumbling. Let me give you a scripture to help you stop. First Corinthians ten, 10 says, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Destroyer. God, God just said an the angel to just wipe them out. God has killed multitudes because of a grumbling spirit. I'm gonna take now listen to this closely. When When we are tempted to grumble, we should turn it into an opportunity to pray. Think about that. Every time you're tempted to grumble, whatever you're about to grumble about, lift it before the Lord in prayer and watch God transform your life. No wonder your children don't want to come to church. You're grumbling about the preacher or you're grumbling about this or you're grumbling about that. You're grumbling about a deacon or you're grumbling about the choir member. You're grumbling about the person that can't sing. You're grumbling about the person who can't seem to make the audio go well. Listen, there's no such thing as the gift of criticism. Every time you are tempted to grumble, Turn it into an opportunity to pray. I'm almost done. Unconfessed sins leads to spiritual and physical death. Unconfessed sins lead to spiritual and physical death. Sin is expensive. Unconfessed sin leads to spiritual and physical death. Sin is expensive. Beloved, when we think about sin, it should scare us into doing right. When we think about the consequences, it ought to scare us. Unconfessed sin will cost us our family. It may cost you your family. It may cost you relationships. It'll steal your time. Unconfessed sin steals your career. Unconfessed sin steals the Lord's money he has provided you. Unconfessed sin steals your health. And ultimately, it can cost you your life. Last but not the least, number nine. Sin steals our joy. <laughs> sin steals our joy. A sinful life results in negativity. A sinful life results in pessimism. A sinful life d- results in depression. You know, when, when you don't have joy, you become inactive and you're full of self-pity. And a loss of joy. If there is an absence of joy in your life, ask the Lord to restore the joy of your salvation. Someone under my voice, by radio, television, and pr- worshiping at home, you have lost your joy because things don't go the way you think they ought to go. Or you have too high a view of yourself. Uh, you lost your heavenly kingdom perspective uh, because you think you all that. That's pride. Psalms 51 12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. What a prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. In closing, I want you to listen to this close really well. In closing, if you're waiting until your spouse changes, <laughs> for the better because they can change for the worse. If you're waiting for the global pandemic to end before you can come to church and serve God, if you're waiting for your children to turn to Christ and make good decisions, if you're waiting for God to heal you of your sickness, if you're waiting until you get out of financial debt, if you're waiting for your life to get better before you can rejoice in the God of your salvation, you're going to be waiting a long time. All that has to happen before you can have joy, you ought to have joy in the midst of your circumstances. Regardless of your circumstances. Beloved, in which condition are you going to heaven? How many of you saved and know you're going to heaven? How many, I, mean, I mean, raise your hand. I mean, let me say it again. How many of you saved and know you're going to heaven? Okay. That's good. You save and know you're going to heaven. Well, let me tell I got something for you. How are you going to heaven? Are you going to heaven miserable, mean, grumpy, negative, disgruntled, a frowning face? But you're going to heaven. Or are you going to heaven, glad, delighted, positive, cheerful, excited, satisfied? You know, so many people are not going there. God got to rapture you. You get to heaven for you. Oh, now I'm satisfied. God said, "I need to put you back down on earth." You mean you tell me you couldn't get satisfied until you came here? You should have been satisfied with me the day you came to me and I, I, I'm in your heart. Why how couldn't you be satisfied on earth? Why did you have to wait till you get to heaven to get satisfied? You mean me? you just now got satisfied? It took the rapture to satisfy you? And are you going to heaven thankful and filled with the joy of the Lord? Yeah, I mean, God takes you out of here whether you die or rapture, whichever, and you are filled with the joy of the Lord of the Lord, and you're thankful. I never will forget, I was talking to the early morning group, uh, illustration that Gerald, our uh, doctor's son, who went home to be with the Lord, a number of years ago. You know, four children, a widow and all this. And um, he stayed right in our home, we took him in. And he said, Dad, I said, what? I got an illustration for you. And that illustration came back after so many years. I said, what? and I'm going to share it with you. He said, I was flying from Africa, Uganda, Africa to America. And as I was flying, I saw some people read magazines. They were drinking their martini. They were talking and laughing, joking, having a good time. The, 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 the bumps in the air didn't bother them and they, they landed well he said but I was on that plane and I was scared I was nervous and every time that plane bumped I jumped I was nervous I was fearful, fretful I was stressed but the plane landed now, we all got to our destination, but one group took that trip and landed in freedom. I took that long trip and landed in bondage. How are you going to land? How are you going to land? We're on a trip. We're on a journey. And some of y'all making the ride to heaven so bumpy, so bumpy. You grouchy, you fussy, you mean, your eyes look bad, you're rolling them, huh? and you're talking under your voice. You're miserable, and you can't get happy till you see Jesus. He's going to get you. And other folk are rejoicing, singing, serving, delightful, thankful. And when they get to heaven, they see Jesus. They were shouting on earth, and now they see Jesus, and they shouting at the feet of Jesus. How are you going to heaven? And all God's children said. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for the message. It was so loaded. It was so loaded spiritually, pregnant with truth. And Lord, it's decision time. It's time for someone under my voice, some husband and wife, some couple, some single, some widow, some some widower, some child, regardless of color, regardless of whether you are in life, regardless of your financial status, Regardless of your circumstances, God is God spoke to you today and he says, I want to satisfy you in a way that no one else or nothing can. Lord, there's someone here who's lost their joy. Someone at home that's joyless. Someone here, they've been fussing and fighting too much, mean, raising their voice. Shedding doors, bad body language, no joy. I pray in the name of Jesus that you save those who are lost today, deceived today, in their own direction today, at a crossroad today. I pray that these would come to know Jesus, the crucified Christ. Saying, what must I do to be saved? We ask these blessings in Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's children said, God and God alone is the only way into the kingdom of God. Jesus is God. And the only way you can get to God, you gotta come through the Son. And without the Son, you can't have fellowship with Jesus. What are you gonna do? You're gonna sit here another Sunday without a decision? You need Christ not tomorrow, not next month. Now a decisive decision to receive Jesus now. Whosoever will, let him call on the name of the Lord and be saved. You know accident. You walk out of here without Christ, that you're on dangerous grounds. You need to make your peace with God and not accept any of the devil's excuses to keep you away from Christ today. Some of you know Christ and you're saved, but you don't have a church home. You've been fishing around, looking around. Well, where else do you need to go? What, what else are you looking for? You're looking for a perfect church. You're not going to find it. You're not perfect. You got issues like everybody else. We in this together you come now for your children's sake for heaven's sake for salvation's sake come to jesus now
0: listen closely as pastor rander concludes this message by helping us to understand why many believers do not assemble in the house of god satan attacks us when we're most vulnerable and he changes his strategy as our vulnerabilities change in Jesus' name We must be unyielding in exercising our God-given authority to rebuke every attack Satan instantly mounts against us. And Satan will flee because he and our God cannot occupy the same space. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching by Pastor Rander, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church located in Converse, Texas.